The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to talk to you about rotoballer.com. If you guys know me by now, you've listened long enough, you know I have my written content for DFS and other season-long fantasy products over at rotoballer.com. And if you're still grinding along in the NFL streets, season-long playoffs, DFS for the NFL, don't wait any longer. Go to rotoballer.com, get the NFL Premium Pass. Are you ready to dominate your season-long in DFS leagues? Rotoballer's NFL Premium Pass includes lineup tools, projections, and DFS cheat sheets for all formats. Get access to exclusive articles, DFS tools, lineup optimizers, and premium Slack chat rooms. I do the weekly DFS cash game values, even the, and then the Saturday even, doing some uh, extra previews for the, the week's DFS slates. Come check all that out and join in on the winning and take... 50% off any premium pass, not just football. If you want basketball, baseball's coming up, all that good stuff. 50% off any premium pass. Use my my promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off. So you get 60% off a premium pass. It's that simple. So get in, get ready, finish the NFL season in a strong, strong way with rotoballer.com, NFL premium pass, already at 50% off now. Use promo code Bubba, B-U-B-B-A, for another 10% off when you purchase. Just visit rotoballer.com backslash radio, sign up today, and start rotoballing like a boss. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba the Bat Flip, episode 113, continuing our seasonal preview position by position to get you ready for the 2022 fantasy baseball season. Tonight, we go to everyone's favorite position, the hot corner, third base, which people love so much. And we're going to give you all the information there to, to make it happen for you. We've got some great questions about would you rather go to the kiddie pool or wait on tables, like so much fun stuff. But we'll get all of that shortly. I'm on Twitter at BDNTrick if you ever have any questions. And my co-host is always on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man? <laughs> oh, man. Sorry, I just I threw up a little bit in my mouth, uh, Bubba, right there. 
Um, you mentioned third base and I just <laughs> couldn't, uh, keep it down. Um, I'll try throughout the podcast to, um, to limit the amount of times I throw up in my mouth, but I'm not, I'm not going to make up any, any promises, um, about that. So I'll do Fair. my best, but outside of that, I'm doing well. That's good. That's good. And you sound great as uh, people have been mentioning. So we're doing oh, good there. Um, I'm curious here. You, we always people could really hear the throw up, you know, yes, like very the, clearly coming out of my mouth. Right they could there. hear the, the bubbles in your throat as it was. Oh coming. God. Yeah. It yeah. was the whole thing. Um, it's fun. Cause before we go into the players, every episode, we talk about how we kind of approach a, uh, a position because there's different ways you can do it based on depth and how your roster constructing. And I have a few different strategies I have, uh, perused so far. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say, because you are one that like there's certain drafts I've been waiting on starting pitchers, just kind of depending on where I'm at. I know you're always going to get at least one pretty early, if not two. It's kind of your deal and and maybe a catcher or a reliever and everything. So it really makes the third base situation even more interesting as you get on in drafts. So how do you, how are you approaching third base so far in drafts? Either how do you plan on approaching third base? Yeah, I mean, I think you're pretty spot on. Um, generally, like with my approach to drafts, I'm going pitching pretty heavy early on. And most of my drafts so far, I've been drafting holds and I'm being even more like early pitching there. Cause I'm trying to get two early closers as well. And I just really, do, I, I don't like, I mean, it's not that like there aren't good players at third base. I mean, we have some pretty elite talent, like Jose Ramirez, Manny Machado. Like there's some really good players. Well, there's a few really good players <laughs> at third base. Um, and it's just that, you know, yeah, I'm not really after them where they're going right now. And when I look at kind of just overall third base, what I see is it seems like third basemen are getting pushed up because the position isn't as deep. And so folks are overpaying, you know, and again, like this is just thinking about what the projections say versus where people are going in drafts. So believe it or, or not, or don't believe it, it, it's up to you. But based on what I'm seeing, like from my perspective is people are paying a premium for third base because the position is not deep. And I'm not really, because the talent just isn't there, I'm not really willing in a lot of instances to pay that premium. And so I actually find myself like kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel in a lot of instances around third base. I have a few teams where my third baseman is like Alec Bohm or, or Yandy Diaz, or um, you know, it doesn't go deeper than that, but there is kind of a little bit of a sweet spot, I think, uh, slightly after pick 100. Um, there's a few guys that I like there. One we've already talked about in DJ LeMayhew, you know, Cabrian Hayes, um, uh, Justin Turner, who I haven't gotten yet, but I think is, is you know, is looking good. Josh Donaldson. I also like Eugenio Suarez this year as well. So there's kind of guys like in that range where there are, are you know, where I like kind of where, what those guys look like more so than paying a higher cost for maybe a player who is not as good as, you know, um, as I think they should be for where they're going. But I love Jose Ramirez. I love Manny Machado. It's just, I'm generally not targeting a hitter at that point in the draft yet. Yeah. That's why I was kind of wondering on, on your build because those guys are elite, and I'm trying to get one of them if I can. I'm not forcing the conversation, but um, like if I have a, if I have a top pick and I can't get uh, Trey Turner, I'm probably getting J Ram. That's one of my goals. 
for the most part, like where you were probably more inclined to go Kohler Burns, which uh, makes it interesting. And I, I love Machado too, and he's he's great, and the projections love him, which is like I, I gotta like temper myself because I think he's really really good, but those projections really think he's good, which is um it's tough because usually they're kind of optimistic and kind of more laid back on things. But after that, it's like you pick your poison. Like there's certain guys I like, there's certain ones I don't. Um, we talked about it on the the review podcast from third base. It's like I think it's uh, a deep position, but you really have to navigate the murky waters. Like it's it's like the, there's good picks and there's a bunch of bad ones. There's good picks and there's a bunch of bad ones. It's kind of like you mentioned you had like wheelhouse where you're talking like pick 100, 150 ish, maybe 200, depending on on what draft you're in and that makes it interesting but um all those guys have warts that's why they're going later too so it's it's an interesting position it's a tough position i have some drafts where i'm doing totally fine i have other drafts where i'm like you where it's like e, we're stuck with some uh, interesting names towards the end and trying to like backfill and pray that things hit successfully but um it's an interesting position because it feels like sometimes if you have to force your hand you're also kind of giving up on something else which is interesting so it's tough. It's tough. Some people just like that's why it's great if you can get a J Ram or something, just knock it off. You're good. But um, it's it's not always that easy, especially if you're drafting in certain spots of the draft where I get stuck. It seems like all the time now, so it uh, makes life very very difficult. All right, let's get to the ADP. I have it from February first till now. It gives us uh, eleven draft champions draft so far, and the first third baseman off the board. We've already mentioned he's going around pick three. Overall right now is J-Ram, Jose Ramirez, who's just an absolute beast. Um, he's going to get you a decent average. He's going to hit for a, a ton of value. 266 last year, but he's usually at 270. He's hit his eye as 318. So he, I think he got a good average coming, 30-plus homers, 20-plus stolen bases. He's a five-category guy. There's really no sugarcoating. He's absolutely awesome. Only thing that could be concerning, even though it shouldn't be, is he might get traded. Who knows to where? That makes life interesting. But he's darn good, and I have no concerns with him at all. Yeah, I'm I'm in a similar spot. Uh, no concerns with J Ram, pretty much regardless of where you want to draft him. You know, if you're kind of into this whole scarcity argument, you know, the fact that he produces what he does playing third base. I mean, he's pretty much a lock for 2020 um, with a above league average batting average and p- potentially a you know um, borderline elite batting average. So, you know, if you are kind of swayed by that argument, you know, that if you get uh, stolen bases at third base, it really opens up your flexibility in other positions. You have a lot more positions that provide stolen bases on a regular basis. You still have your shortstop open. You have your second base. You have your middle infield. You have your whole outfielder outfield still available um, to fill those stolen bases. You know, then I could see a case for him going first. Um you know, but I think where he's kind of settling in drafts right now makes a lot of sense. Um, and you know, no, no concerns at all about drafting, uh, J Ram. Um, yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah. And he's like, you said, he's going there because of the steals. That's the big thing. Cause the second third baseman off the board around pick 18 or 19 right now is Raphael Devers. And if you look at his statistics and how things have been going, Devers is a lot like J Ram. He just doesn't steal. Like his counting stats, runs and RBIs are probably going to be better than JRAM just because of the team context overall. Power, 30, 35 plus home runs. A lot of similarities there. Uh, it might even hit for a better average than JRAM. So it's really interesting if you want to dig into it. If it's it's a roster construction, 
if you're not worried about stolen bases from third base, Devers is a great argument to be had, but it's also usually when you're drafting that early, you're drafting for stolen bases. So I love Rafael Devers. I have a couple shares early. I haven't been going as aggressive on Devers late in drafts because I've been wanting more stolen bases early. Could be a detriment, though, because Devers is very, very good. It just affects how you want to build things. If you want to leave with stolen bases, maybe an ace, maybe some saves early on, you can't really do that with Rafael Devers. And that's the biggest problem. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I think one of the challenges, too, with Devers is where you're drafting, where you're getting him kind of at the one-two turn, there's not a lot of elite stolen base guys at that portion of the draft. You know, like if you draft earlier and you have like a Trey Turner or a Fernando Tatis Jr., right, a Bo Bichette, somebody that maybe you're projecting for like 25 plus steals, um, I feel like it's a little bit easier to take Devers in that situation. But um, towards that back end of the draft, like probably Albies or maybe Robert are, are kind of the higher uh, steals guys and they're not they haven't quite reached that that elite threshold that being said i think devers is an incredible hitter and i do think i mean it's harder it may it limits your choices a lot more when you don't get steals earlier but i think i don't think it's necessary as somebody who's drafting like four out of their first five picks are pitchers uh, frequently in drafts i'm still finding myself able to kind of get to that 80th percentile threshold because I do think there are some guys later on. So if you really love Devers, I mean, he's a phenomenal hitter. I think you mentioned the J-Ram. Like he pretty much is J-Ram without the steals and likely with a better batting average. Last year, you know, he had a 307 BABIP, which is lower than his career. Um, career average, his contact rate even went up a little bit. So we saw that kind of like that early 2020 struggles was really just, a, you know, a very brief, um, very brief struggles. And he's just, an, he, I mean, he's an absolutely incredible hitter. And so, again, if you want to maybe play it safer, like get a guy who has that track record of being a phenomenal hitter, and you're going to take that and you're going to sacrifice stolen bases uh, early on in drafts, I can certainly see uh, you know, a reason to draft Devers. Um, it's not necessarily how I like to build my teams, but I can definitely see it. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. It's like I'd compare him to Freddie Freeman if you're willing to do that at first base. A lot of similarities there. He's going to get five or six steals. Not going to give you a zero, but he, any or even a Vlad. You can probably say Vlad might not get five, or, but they're going to be so close. So if you're cool building your team around something like that, Devers is awesome. But um, it just depends on, on your roster construction. That's why I said I have a few shares, but not a ton of shares. That's what makes it kind of complicated. Uh, the third third baseman off the board at pick 23 is Mr. Manny Machado. We kind of joked about, or I kind of joked about earlier, his um, his projections and everything. Like last year, 28 homers, 12 steals, hit 278. Uh, projections have him 30-plus homers, another 10 to 12 steals, 270-77 average. Um, just an all-around beast. So... He's been the kind of fallback guy if you don't get J-Ram. But again, it, it depends on your roster construction. He's going, that's like mid-round two, give or take, in a 15-team league. Yeah, you know, I love Machado. He's just so, he's so solid. 
Um, and I can see why the projections, you know, especially the bad X is giving him 36 home runs for this year. I can definitely see why they're doing that. I mean, he hit 28 home runs this year, but he had his lowest home run per fly ball rate um, since 2013, 2013. I can't believe he's been around since 2013, since 2012. I mean, that's nuts. At 14.6%, you know, and some of that is obviously a little bit of the ball, but it doesn't explain why he was so low. He had 63 barrels last year, Um, 63 barrels and only 28 home runs. So if he were getting that kind of usual barrel to home run rate, you know, you'd be looking at, you know, closer that's only to 40, 40%. That's only a 44% home run yeah. barrel. That's crazy. So you're looking at like over 40 actually for him yeah. um, if he were to maintain that. And so, you know, there may be re- some reasons why he he isn't. Um, I, I feel like I saw something where somebody was looking at like kind of backspin on baseballs or the spin once a player hits it and Machado was not particularly good at that, but but at the same token, like he has 251 career home runs and well, I guess I shouldn't, I shouldn't count. Let, let's see. Well, that's the math is going to be difficult for me, but let's see. They started counting barrels in 2015. So we take out 26, we take out 33 home runs from 251, which is 221, three, 218. He has 218 home runs in 308 um, and 308 barrels over his career. So he's been above two thirds um, for his career. So there's not a really good explanation for why he's there outside of a little bit of bad luck. And so I think he gets there. The profile is still like super solid. The contact rate, you know, 79% well above league average. You know, the O swing has always been slightly worse than league average, but there's no change in that department at all. He actually set, I mean, he hit a ball 119 yeah. miles per hour, 119.6 last year. I think it was a home run too. It was like, it was either a home run or a double and it just like didn't get like more than 12 feet off the ground. So this is all just to say, and then when you look at his, his steals as well, I think there's, you know, you have 14, you have five, you have the 12 last year and, and they normally come in bunches, you know? And so it's hard to kind of look at it in this way. But if you look at the second half, he only had three of those 12 steals um, in the second half. I think he was battling various injuries throughout the course of the season. And so I'm, I'm totally fine grabbing him here because I think he's very similar to Devers, but he's going to give you a little bit more speed and he's done it for so long and so consistently that I feel comfortable grabbing him here. This was kind of my strategy last year. I had Machado in a number of different places in kind of my bigger drafts, my my fab drafts, and he was kind of my early hitter that I that I went after just because he's so solid across the board. He's going to help you in everything. So I, I really like Machado. Um, so, yeah. Draft yeah, away. yeah. I remember last year I was kind of like, didn't really know what I wanted to do with him, and you kind of can you're you, us talking about it like kind of led me more to liking him and I'm all, I'm all in on him now like I'm I'm happy with where he's at and this is why I don't have a ton of Devers as well because like where Devers is going if I'm picking there I'm taking Ozzy Albies that's where I'm going there and so if I'm farther back well then I go to Machado and that's just kind of the way it's been going and obviously a lot of that can change but I love Ozzy Albies we talked about him at second base and um it's just it's a total roster construction you know people probably get sick and tired of hearing that but it is like it's just how do you want to build your your system and that's what 
it makes it tricky. Like if I didn't care about stolen bases, I want to put steals and I go, you know, Vlad and Devers and like, I just go down the list that way, but it's just not, you know, fundamentally possible. And that's what makes it tricky. So Machado makes for a great option there. And I'm hundred percent on board with you. And just imagine if Tatis didn't drive in all those runs in front of him, like what he could really do in that lineup. So he, it's, it's a good thing now that that lineup can be interesting this year because it doesn't, it looks odd right now. They need to make some more moves whenever uh, things get clicking again. Cause if he's got a roster resource, leaves a lot to be desired, but uh, overall you got to love some Machado. That's for sure. And uh, especially in that division, yeah, a lot of lefties. He hits lefties very, very well. Get some games in Coors. Like there's, there's a lot to like from Machado. The fourth third baseman off the board. And honestly, I guess I just haven't paid that close attention because, you know, you know, early drafts, December and stuff, Austin Riley was fourth, but that has flipped in a big way because people are jumping aboard the Adalberto Mondesi train way more than I thought when you see the gap in ADP, which we'll talk about soon. But Mondesi is the fourth third baseman off the board, going around pick 49 since uh, since February 1st, and we know what he can do. He can run like crazy in just 35 games last year, 15 steals, six home runs, uh, only at 230. Usually it's like 250, 260. But it's just a matter of health. Like he strikes out a ton. He doesn't walk at all. So he's got to get on base. Um, and it's just a matter of health. Like projections are great. The bad X, 120 games, 18 homers, 39 stolen bases, uh, 233 average. But some will tell you what 20, 120 games might not be realistic. It's, it depends on who you talk to. But we know for a fact if he were to play 140 plus games, he's probably the number one player in fantasy. It's just a matter of can he play it? And the Royals have already said they want to limit his play to make sure he plays the whole season. That's my only concern. But as someone that has drafted out of Bartolomandesi, Toby, what's your thoughts on him? <laughs> yeah, I have drafted him in one draft in the Battle of the Pods draft, Bubba, where we're in. <laughs> um, I started off with a lot of pitchers in a row, and he one fell all the way to, yeah. to pick 73. So um, I, I went after him. I mean, he's super interesting, obviously, for all the reasons you noted. I think the key thing for me is I would much rather have Mondesi in a fab league than in like a draft and hold. Because it is really hard to build a team, a balanced team with him in it. You know, you're either overloaded in steals or, um, yeah, you're, you're, you're probably overloaded in steals. Um, unless you could do the approach where, like, you feel like all you have to do is draft two guys that have steals and you'll be fine um, for the season. Which I, of, I often I think that's, like, one of the biggest mistakes that I see on draft boards is people will draft, like, two early steals guys and they'll have, like, 45 steals. And then they'll be like, oh, okay, well, I don't really have to worry about steals for the rest of the draft. And it's kind of like, uh, you still got like about 80, you still got 75 steals to go before you hit 80th percentile. And that's in a draft and hold. There's going to be even a, a larger um, need for speed when we get into kind of the the fab leagues where you're bumping up to like 123 for 80th percentile or something similar to that. Um, but I like Mondesi more in fab leagues because, you know, yeah, like you mentioned, he is, he's... He's obviously had injury struggles um, throughout his career. He hasn't been able to stay healthy. Hopefully he'll be able to put together a season where he does. But, you know, if you're able to, um, if he is injured for a, a decent amount of the season, let's play, say he's injured for 50% of the season, having Mondesi for 50% of the season and then having a replacement level guy in there with him is still a pretty solid player. I mean, it's obviously not what you want to have happen, and you're not drafting him if you think that he's only going to play 50% of the plate appearances. But I do think that <clears throat> there's just incredible, incredible value in that possibility. 
And so I don't begrudge people who draft Mondesi. Um, it's one way to address deals. It's not my preferred way because I do like to build more of a balanced team. Um, he also isn't really helping you in batting average. Although, like you mentioned, I think he was a little, not necessarily unlucky last year, but you know, he just didn't have the full season to play out. He can go on some just incredibly hot streaks. Like we saw it, I think at the end of 2020, where he was just yeah. on fire. His career BABIP is 333. His BABIP last year was 299. Um, so it's certainly, you know, I do expect that that batting average will be more in the 240, 250 range, um, as you mentioned before. So with all that being said, again, it's a huge risk to take in a draft. It's not how I like to build my teams, but I can totally see why people draft him. And again, if he plays three quarters of the season, you're gold, you know, you don't need him to play a hundred percent of the games. You don't need him to, like you mentioned, if he hits 120 games, you're probably going to have like 35, 40 steals with a decent amount of power. That's what people I think fail to realize sometimes is that they think of him as a rabbit, but he's definitely not, you know, last year, 12.8% barrel rate, 11 barrels for his six home runs. He's got a decent max exit below, you know, one twelve point six. even his average exit, uh, average exit velocity is good at 92.3. So he's not making soft contact. A lot of the time he's got some power, um, but you know, I'm, I mean, pretty much like every 600 plate appearances, he's averaging, you know, 20, about 20 home runs, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I, again, it's kind of like, you know, you just know what you're getting into when you draft him. Yeah. I think, um, you, you mentioned the fab leagues. I think I, I'd add on to that 12 team fab leagues. Um, mm. 15 just because replacement value is so much harder to find, uh, especially at third base, unless you plan on drafting him and just holding a roster spot. That's where it gets kind of like you have seven roster spots on an NPC, no IL. So are you just going to hold a, another third baseman type situation? Maybe you draft a multi position guy and that helps you out there. That could be tremendous. That might be a point of your strategy of going, hey, I want a Ryan McMahon, I want a Luis Urias, I want somebody that gives you that third base flexibility, but you can also move them around the diamond. That might be an angle to go to on a deeper league, even a short league, but a deeper league for sure. But at least in a 12-team league, there's going to be options more often than not at third base to kind of help you replace him or do what you got to do. But one thing that's kind of funny, when you were talking there, and you know, we said 120 games, you're, you're probably in the money. 140, you'd be over the moon. You know, you hear people talk about Fernando Tatis Jr., who we know has a shoulder injury, and they're all saying, man, if you got like 130 or 140 games, we saw what he did last year, and he still was the number one outfielder on the player Raider and all this stuff. And it's like, why don't we feel the same way about Mondesi? Like, I get it. I get it. Tatis has, you know, played more often than not, but he still has an injury that's pretty serious. Like, he has an actual injury we know about right now. That's pretty serious. Bless you. Um, Thank you. But I, I but, couldn't I couldn't find the mute button fast enough to you did great. stop you did that great. sneeze. But it's like we do all this stuff with Tatis or our other guys, but with Mondesi, who – we have to assume is at least healthy to start the season. That's a big if because he gets hurt so much, but it's the same idea. If he just plays X amount of games, we're good. So why do we make one guy? It's like, okay, we're cool with it, even though he's already hurt. And then there's other guys where it's like Mondesi who we do delete. And we're like, nah, nah, I'm not going to do it. That's the funny question to me. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe I'm trying to start something that's not there, but it's interesting to me. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I think it's just the games played. 
you know, um, where, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like any injury thing, right? Like guys always injury prone until they're not right. Like you see it so many times. And so it's hard to know whether Mondesi is truly injury prone or not. I mean, it's a lot of like soft tissue stuff. Which is never good. Um, Those are easy to re-aggravate. So. Yeah. So that's like not good. I mean, Tatis obviously with the shoulder, but I think it's just the consistent production and and that the fact that they have played, even though there's like yeah. that injury piece, you know, we've seen Tatis play through it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's it's just, it's super interesting because you know, like Michael Brantley, I was listening to a podcast and thinking about like Michael Brantley and he was injury prone forever. And now he's like, not really, you know, like he's played consistently and we see that, you know, all the time. And oftentimes those are the guys that, that can really pop and that can be league winners as well. So it's just that risk reward balance. And honestly, like a lot of us make, we're not making objective decisions. Like we're making subjective decisions about, who we go after and who we don't go after. And we love, we can find reasons to justify all of them. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is you may like a player more. You may not like a player more. You may be comfortable with certain risk or not comfortable with certain risk. Our minds are bizarre creatures and we this have a true. ton of biases and they're going to paint. They're going to paint a picture for us in our mind that makes us either willing or unwilling to yeah. draft certain players, despite the perceived injury risks. No, that's just why I wanted to bring it up for discussion. I'm not saying they have to go draft them or not, but just the little things like it makes me more inclined if they are really going to be great. If we had actual news, but we don't, um, you know, the, the comments about, you know, we're going to kind of play them here and there. The goal is to play them like 120 or 130 games to make sure he stays healthy. Well, that makes him pretty valuable. If that's the case, um, they're <laughs> going to try to DH him a little more, which is pretty good too. Like there's, there's certain things I know and he could still get hurt. So it could ruin the entire idea. But I think it seems like most of the camp, and I don't want to spend any more time on Mondesi because I've put way too much already, but it seems like most of the camp is like you're all in or you're all out. That's kind of the discussion. And I think there needs to be maybe more to it strategy-wise, if that makes any sense. It can't be as simple as you're all in or all out to me. Then again, that's the biases you talked about, and we have them for everybody we draft, basically. But I think it's just an interesting discussion point that I think uh, might – at least if people kind of open their brain to thinking about it a little differently for a second might make things a little more interesting. That was just my two cents. So. Well, I know you want to get away from Odyssey, but I also no, think if you that got if something we, to talk about, I just know some people are like, if, if we're, if it. we're in late March yeah, and you know, let's say that the season starts on time and Mondesi has been in camp and he's perfectly healthy going into the season. Oh, he's he's like not going to stay pick. where he's at yeah, he's right like a now. Second round I mean, easy. that's the thing. Yeah. He's going to move up into the second round and we think that that's ridiculous because it's like we've been here before. We've done this before. But Recency that's what's going to happen. I mean, that's what's going to happen because he can be incredibly valuable. Mm-hmm. And and so that's that I think is the thing is like it, this is always the conversation because like he looks yeah. great right now because so of that, where that, he's that, just at. Pro- that just proves my point because it's like, okay, now we're drafting him in the second round, which is basically – same concerns are still there, but now we're like, yeah. okay, we saw something good. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. It'll be fun to see what happens because I, I like him. He's so much fun to watch. Like, you having him on your team when he goes off is just awesome. But there are headaches. There are definite headaches. 
All right, the fifth third baseman off the board. Like I said earlier, this was flip-flopped back in like December, but things have been a change in. Austin Riley picks 64, 65 right now. He's the fifth third baseman off the board. You know, monster, monster season last year. 33 homers, hit 303, which shocked so many people. Uh, as Babbitt went through the roof compared to what it's been in, in, in years past, that was a big gainer. But, you know, runs, RBIs, had a great year. No sugarcoating that at all. There's got to be some regression coming just just has to be I, I don't see him being a 300 hitter we'll see so so far i have zero shares of austin riley i don't know what your thoughts are on him yeah i have zero too um i don't dislike the player i it's just the price the the price the the adp right now is just um it's it's too high for me i mean the thing is like when when you think about like what really differentiates a player like around this part of the draft it's really that batting average and it's the stolen bases and if you think that there's regression in the batting average which i think is pretty like all of the projections see it the highest batting average any projection has him at is 274 the lowest is at 266 um so there's that you know the 368 babbitt that you mentioned you know is probably unlikely to to repeat you know although it's always possible and then you're looking at the home runs and, you know, you're looking at a similar number 33, but if you get that, you know, let's just say, let's just take, I'll take like a more, like a more preferable line. Let's say you get the steamer projection, which is 274, 33 home runs, 87 runs and, and 100 RBI. Like if you compare that, for instance, to let's say Josh Donaldson's line, or you compare it to Justin Turner's line, like, the difference is relatively negligible. I mean, for Turner, for instance, you'd have a higher batting average, which is a, a scarcer, um, you know, category. And so that the fact that there's, you know, kind of that going the other way is, is better. The difference in home runs is probably like eight, you know, eight to 10 home runs. And then you're looking at maybe like 10 to 15 runs and 10 to 15 RBI. And those are things that you can make up within a season. And they're close enough where, you know, a positive season, like a good luck season versus a bad luck season, there's plenty of overlap in terms of what they end up uh, providing. And so for me, I just don't have any interest at all in drafting a player like this at this point in the draft, because I am trying to get those guys that can provide those scarce categories so that later on in the draft, when there are profiles available that provide that power, I have a cushion in steals, in batting average, that allows me, you know, to kind of address some of the power gap that I'm likely to have um, in later rounds in the draft. So again, nothing against Austin Riley. I think, like you mentioned, there's regression coming. I think he's a very solid player, a really nice profile, an improving young player. There certainly could be more of a ceiling, but I just, I don't want to, I don't want to draft this type of a player at this point in the draft. Yeah, and that's all it is. And a lot of it is the batting average with no steals, like you said. Um, I feel like we can find power at third base later. We've we've both mentioned him before on other shows on today's show. Josh Donaldson is a guy I could go to later in the draft. He might not stay healthy, but he's going to hit for power when he's there. Uh, if you just want corner infield, Miguel Sano will crush. Like there's there's options in the power department um, that already have other issues. Where Riley and, and and everything with Riley, like the projections have him kind of similar in power. But to me, if his average drops down, how where's this power? Like, how does the, this all equates th- the same? Basically, like you're losing thirty points in batting average. You're striking out the same. You're walking similar. Like the projection sites, I, I don't know how he still has thirty three homers, but 
I don't know. I'm not an expert at that. Uh, there's probably more to it. It just doesn't it seems like something should correlate there, and it's not. Maybe he just loses a bunch of singles. I don't know. But um, it, it is one thing to look at for sure. But, yeah, I'm going to pass on him. We'll see. Could be wrong. But it's one of those guys I'm okay being wrong on. And another reason is I'd rather take the next guy on the board at, uh, like, 20 picks later. Uh, Nolan Arenado, pick 84 right now, 20 picks later, exactly. Then Austin Riley and talked about it in the review podcast, Toby. He's boring, but he's consistent. Uh, 34 more home runs is 30 plus home runs in two, four, five, six straight full seasons. He's played 156, five or more games in all six of those seasons, which is outstanding. Doesn't steal a ton of bases, but he drives in over 100 runs, scores usually over 100 before last year. Average dropped last year because the Babbitt dropped a ton, which you'd expect in St. Louis compared to Colorado. So that's the biggest change for me going from Colorado to St. Louis, the average, which makes a ton of sense. But power still fine. Run production should still be fine. And you're not paying an early draft pick like you used to in Colorado. You're getting them at pick 84, which to me is pretty darn outstanding for a, a boring veteran. That's So I have no problem with Nolan Arenado. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I find myself in a pretty similar uh, debate between him and, and Austin Riley in terms of um, just what what he provides is not anything particularly unique. Like, there's a lot of power there. Um, there's RBI. You know, there's batting average. Or, I mean, there isn't really batting average. There isn't really steals. So, I think it's a pretty similar argument. He's a very, he's an extreme fly ball guy at this point in his career. You know, in all but one season, you know, he's got an under one ground ball per fly ball. Last year was at 0.63, you know, 31.3% ground ball rate, 37.3%, 36%. And as you mentioned, he's moved from a place, you know, in Colorado, which is the best ballpark in baseball for Babbitt to St. Louis, which is, you know, one of the, um, well, I, I should, I should double check it, but it's one it's of the picture friendly ballpark for sure. Yeah, exactly. Let's actually see. I'll take a check, take a look at EV analytics because they have a Babbitt specific one and let's see where St. Louis is. Yeah. It's the third worst yeah. for Babbitt. And so what are the first um, two worst out of curiosity, if you have it up, uh, Mariners T-Mobile is worst. And then Oakland Coliseum is second. And then it's like Bush Stadium is tied with City Field, Angels, Blue Jays, White Sox, Tropicana. You Tropicana know, makes a sense. lot of those ones are are pretty yeah. bad. So another another plus for the Toronto ballpark. Yet these guys crush there. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, and so I think it's a pretty similar dynamic with Riley. I think Riley has maybe more potential for that batting average to be higher um, because of the quality of contact that he makes and the type of contact that he makes, and. But I think you're running into the same situation here with with Arenado. And a lot of it depends on, you know, like which projection system you trust the most. Like the bad X for me is is the one that I kind of prioritize and I weigh more heavily, you know, when I'm thinking about projections, just because so far from at least a rate stat perspective, not necessarily plate appearances, but from a rate stat perspective, um, you know, it, it's it's ranked out, rated out the best the last couple of years, I think. And then ATC has been the best in terms of like the number of plate appearances or the playing time. And so with Arenado, like when you combine those two, like the projection isn't, isn't great. Um, It's not great in batting average It's actually not that great in home runs. And then I look at a guy like Josh Donaldson, you know, again, he's projected for the same amount of home runs. He's projected for more runs. He's projected for fewer RBI. 
you know, um, similar batting average, slightly worse. So again, Arenado is better probably overall, but you know, the ADP that he's going at is not something that I'm interested in again, because, you know, I think to really justify being higher up, he's got to have that batting average that he had in cores, which I don't think is coming back. Um, and then also like, I mean, he was just, yeah, he was crazy counting stats in cores as well. Yeah, I only have one share. Let me clarify that. But I'd just rather take him over Riley if I had to pick between the two for the draft cost. So that's where we are there. And the next guy I have none of yet. And I'm, I stare at him every draft thinking, man, I really should. Because if he bounces back at all, this is going to be terrifying. Because Alex Bregman right now is the uh, seventh third baseman off the board to pick, almost pick 100, 99.73 in the month of February. And it's like, we know how good Bregman is. He was battling injuries all last year. He had wrist surgery. Uh, like the bad X, 141 games, 23 homers, 262 average. We saw 41 and 31 homers in 18 and 19. He knows how to pull the ball down the line in, in left field at minute made. He's got great plate discipline for like OBP leagues. Man, if he, re- if he returns to that 2018-2019 form, this draft pick is an absolute steal. It's big if, but it's one of those – when you go through drafts, there's always like a, a certain certain guys at certain spots of drafts are like, man, if we can just get that return, it's going to be tremendous. What's your thoughts on Alex Bregman? Because I have not pulled the trigger yet, but I, I, I regret it almost every time when someone else does. Yeah, I, I haven't really either. I have him in our first pitch Arizona draft. Um, I got him like around pick 106 or something like that. Which... Yeah, it's up here right here. 110. He, yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting how it's how it's on there. Um, I got him at like pick one ten. I mean, I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I think the challenge with Bregman is you mentioned the injury concerns, which again, like, is he injury prone or is he not? You know, there's no speed there at all. I think which is challenging. Um, he's never been like an elite batting average guy necessarily. Um, the projections dirt certainly don't have him as an elite batting average guy, but he's also a unique profile where I think it's hard. Like in those seasons where he hit a ton of home runs, he's one of these guys who along with Arenado, actually is a pretty good comp who routine, who regularly, I think it's an actual skill that they possess, which is pulling the ball, pulling the ball in the air, essentially. Um, pulled fly balls and guys who do that, they don't need super high barrel rates to hit a lot of home runs. Um, they're going to have more home runs probably than they're going to have barrels. And so it's hard in that sense. But I think the thing for Bregman for me, which just leaves me not, not being able to go after that is, you know, there's, there's really no speed anymore. And particularly with the injuries that he's had, I would be doubt, I would doubt if they do end up, you know, letting him run a little bit more. The runs, the runs could be glorious because the OBP is so great and that lineup is still so strong. Um, but I think at this point, I'm still not, I'm still not interested in him um, because I'm not as convinced about the batting average and the steals aren't going to be there. So again, you're looking at another guy where I think he hits more home runs than he's projected for. Like Bad X has him at 23. Yeah. which I think is a little bit low. Again, that X, you know, really puts a lot of emphasis on StatCast. And StatCast, I don't think, does a good good job of portraying some of the skills that Bregman has. Yeah, Bregman breaks StatCast, basically. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I just, I can't, I haven't found myself interested at all yeah. um, at it's this tough. point in time, time, obviously. 
it's honestly. tough because you know how good he is, and there's still like, like he's oh, he overachieved one would could say in like 2018, 2019, but like the projections feel like he's underachieving now. So it's such a weird spot to be in with Alex Bregman. I agree. If you're looking for steals, he's definitely not your guy, but it's one of those. He seems like a good floor with a lot of upside. So I'm, I'm really, really torn on him. He's like the Jose Altuve of third base, same team too. It's just a weird spot with them. But uh, Bregman's still young, so it's tricky. Very, very tricky. That team just doesn't run, period. It's it's crazy because Gray didn't run. Springer didn't run. Like Jordan definitely doesn't run. Maybe <laughs> Tucker. Hopefully Tucker runs. God, Tucker a little bit, but not as much as we had hoped. Yeah, it's like they don't run a ton. It's just they don't do it. Dusty doesn't run, so... We'll see. Well, I'll give you the floor on the next one for anybody that's a new listener to the show because uh, this is your guy. And I already wrote an article a couple weeks ago telling you oh, why not Jesus. to draft him. This is Toby's favorite baseball player. Um, the eighth third baseman off the board. I pick 105. Still looking for a team. He's homeless. That's Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant. Good old Chris Bryant, Toby. What? What? what how many shares of Chris Bryant do you have? I have zero shares of Chris Bryant. Um <laughs> You know, why do we keep drafting this guy as where we're drafting him, people? I mean, come on. Um, I mean, the one, you know, he did have 10 steals last year, which I think, you know, he went 25 and 10 last year with a decent batting average. So I do think we have to give him a little bit of credit there. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of give that um, credit. But it is the first time that he's had dub- double-digit steals since 2015. So it's not necessarily something that I'd expect. And it's not necessarily something that the projections are expecting either. They have him either for six or seven. Um, you know, I just don't think he does anything particularly well. Um, Bryant, um, you know, he's not hitting for like elite power numbers at all. He's not stealing a ton of bases, the batting average, you know, since those two ninety batting average seasons in 2016 and 2017, you know, has been like 272, 282, 206, 265. So like fine, but not necessarily elite. And the batted ball quality just has never been there for him. It's it's really bizarre. Like, you know, he had that the season where he hit a, just a ton of home runs. He hit what? How many home runs did he hit? He had thirty nine home runs in twenty sixteen. You know, with with fifty three barrels. So he was kind of lucky in that season, which helps explain it a little bit. But you know, those are the highest barrel rates he's had. Was his first two seasons in the league. Then you're looking at eight percent you know, 5%. He was up back in double digits last year. So there's certainly like some potentially compelling reasons to be interested in Bryant. But when you plug his projection into, you know, the spreadsheet, it just doesn't look, it doesn't look great. Um, you know, he's projected as like 138th best player. He's going at pick 110. And there's just always a premium on him. Um, ever since his rookie season, like he really hasn't been a good fantasy baseball contributor, you know, like many times in the last five years. And yet he still remains kind of way up here and always overvalued from my perspective in fantasy. So keep drafting him. If you're in drafts with me, I urge you to draft Chris Bryant. Um, You really can't go wrong um, if you draft Chris Bryant, if you're in a draft with me. Yeah, he'll be available for you is what he's telling you. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you talked about it because when I researched him to write my article about him versus Ryan McMahon, his last year's stats, like the power wasn't like electric. It wasn't over 30 homers, like 25. But 
the 10 steals was nice. The average was okay. The increase in his, you know, hard hit rates and his barrel of like, maybe he's figured it out. I don't know, but it's still like, it's not enough to sell me on him. He's a heavy line drive guy. And if that switch, if that switches in either direction, because that line drive leads to a heavy BABIP, which he relies on in a big, big way. So it's, um, it's interesting with him. We don't even know where he's going to play next year. That could make things fun as well. Um, so we'll see. I don't believe the steals will be there. So I wouldn't count on that. That's for one. And uh, the power, I think he's going to be a 20 to 25 guy the rest of his way. So you can get that profile a lot of other places. So I, I'm, I'm not a Chris Bryant guy either. Uh, the next guy going off the board at pick 115, Anthony Rendon which is another guy, I guess, this is my third base is so much fun. Injured a lot of last year, played in 58 games, only six home runs, hit 240. This is a guy that used to hit over 300, pretty much perennially 25-ish homers uh, regularly with the Nationals. Great OBP skills, but we haven't seen it translate overall with the Angels yet, and I just have a hard time kind of buying in because it just hasn't really been there since he's come to Anaheim. What do you? What are your thoughts on Anthony Rendon? Yeah, I mean Rendon is a really hard one because you look back at that like 2017 through 2019 those seasons, and you see the elite batting average. You see a little bit of that power, a little bit about that speed. I mean, I think the speed is pretty much behind him. So the real carrying carrying piece is going to be the batting average and whether he's able to to get there. And he certainly could be able to, he struggled with injuries. You know, he is 32, you know, so, um, you know, he's still relatively, he's still relatively young, but also like old enough where the body's, you know, clearly, um, degrading a little bit, but he's in a great, he's in a great lineup. Um, so if he can stay healthy, I mean, I have no problem with him getting here, but you know, again, like, you really got to feel like that batting average is going to return to that elite batting average total um, to be drafting him here. And I'm just not sure that it's quite worth the risk of drafting him there. Um, You know, because really like if you look at his seasons, you know, in 2019, he hit 319 with 34 home runs, 17 runs, 117 runs, 126 RBI, you know, five stolen bases. He's only got two seasons in his major league career with over a hundred runs, you know, one in 2014 and one in 2019. He's only got two seasons with a hundred RBI, you know, 2019 and 2017. Um, the steals aren't there anymore. Right. And then the batting average, he's got those three, 300 seasons from 2017 to 2019, nothing before or after. And so, it just, it just doesn't, it feels like he had a career year in 2019. He's a good player in 2018 and 2017. And, but I'm just not sure that he's going to be that player again. Um, and so I haven't really been interested in him at all, especially because you factor in just like the injury possibilities for him and, I'm just, I just can't get there. Like I totally get where people are coming from. This is a guy who was going in the second round two years ago. If he can just be healthy, but I'm just not sure that there's the same type of ceiling there that we would hope um, to have, but could be wrong for sure. 
And that's kind of the problem. Like we talked about, and you talked about earlier, like where you're, you're drafting guys, you know, this, this pocket of third base when you're drafting and it's because, you know, Riley, Arenado, Bregman, Bryant, Rendon, it's just this kind of like blah, like there's a lot of questions about health or not a great batting average. Okay. Power like there's no steals, but then you go like picks 11 through 20, you can probably name five or six guys with very similar profiles that you're getting a lot later. And it's like, okay, I'd rather just take those guys and load up somewhere else uh, throughout the draft. So um, I don't, I, I don't have many, like I have one Arenado and I don't have any of these other guys, any of them. Like I have, it's either Ramirez, Devers, Machado, and I, or I wait. That's pretty much where I'm at in these top 10. And what's kind of what we talked about earlier, like the 10th guy is DJ the Mayhew at pick 122. We talked about him earlier, so I'm not going to delve into that one and didn't have to add an extra guy because you have him coming up. So it's perfect. But um, just want to wrap up the top 10. It's kind of a, it's a weird deal. Like people like, hey, you guys like anybody? Well, not really. And that's kind of what we, we told you ahead of time. But uh, let's do 11 through 20. Uh, Cabrian Hayes, Luis Urias, Yoan Moncada, Ryan McMahon, Justin Turner, Matt Chapman, Eduardo Escobar, Josh Donaldson, Eugenio Suarez, and Heimer Condelario. Uh, we'll do a usual rotate back and forth, do two of each. So who is your first one in this pick 11 through 20? Yeah, um, my first one in 11 through 20 is um, Cabrian Hayes. Um, I like Cabrian Hayes um, a good deal. Um, I think the major question for me, the major concern for me is injury, right? He's been injured the last two years. I think that dramatically impacted um, his performance last year. I think he was also unlucky last year. But like if you, um, the major question is going to be the power. Like, you know, is he able to, um, you know, is he able to, is he able to hit for power? And that's a question that we got later on. Um, when you look at what the bad X is projecting him from for it's 15 and 10, you know, 15 home runs, 10 stolen bases in 600 plate appearances. So if he stays healthy, he could potentially hit there. I think the key for me though, is the batting average, you know, like the plate skills are really good. Like the O swing is lower than league average. The contact rate is high 81% over his career so far. You know, O swing at 29.5%. I think last year he obviously was dealing with like hand injuries. And so uh, I'm inclined to feel like, you know, if anything, he's a little bit better than that from a contact perspective, since that's the bulk of what we've seen from him. Um, the, the power, like he hits a ton of ground balls and that's a little bit of a concern, you know, in his 491 plate appearances, he's got a 55% ground ball rate. You know, but that's also one of the reasons why he is able to maintain a relatively high BABIP and he's able to maintain a relatively high batting average. And so I think being able to get a nice batting average from him along with the steals, um, I think is really nice. And then when you look at like the potential power, like when you think about, okay, like maybe what a best case scenario looks like. You know, the ground ball rate isn't 55%, you know, even if it's down at 50 or if he's able to get it down to where it was in 2020 when he hit, you know, 47.7%, you know, that would be um, a huge step up. And that's closer to what he was throughout the minors, like 46.3%, 40.3%, 46.4%. Like if he can get to that, I mean, that's a substantial, that's like a 10% decrease in his ground ball rate since he's been in the majors. So you see a little bit more home runs there. He's got, you know, decent, um, 
uh, decent but not incredible stat cast metrics. Um, you know, he's been unlucky so far, particularly last year. He had 14 barrels and only the six home runs. He's had 20 barrels in his career and 491 plate appearances. So again, like if he can get to that, like, you know, 15, 10 with a good batting average, then I feel pretty good about him, especially as a third baseman providing me with some batting average and some speed. Um, and then I also think that there's a little bit of a higher ceiling there as a young guy, you know, with some prospect pedigree with the potential for kind of like a five, uh, a five category, um, uh, toolbox or whatever. Um, and then he's going to play every day for the pirates as long as he's, as he's healthy. So I like Cabrian Hayes. I've been getting him a, a few places. Like I don't have him the most of any third baseman, but if he's around in that area of the draft, I, I do like the profile a lot. And, um, so I've been, I've been getting him, picking him up. Yeah. He's interesting. He was going, I think maybe around this point in the drafts last year, maybe higher, but uh, I know a lot of like smart prospect people were, especially guys like James Anderson were saying he's like a 2020 type guy. Uh, when all things start to click, we'll see if that happens after all these injuries and whatnot, but there are wrist injuries and hand injuries. So I wouldn't say it should detriment the speed much, but yeah, very, very intrigued with a guy like a Brian Hayes. My first one here. And I'm like, I, I, I can't, I think I have six of these 10 guys on teams. So I like this area quite a bit. And I did not mention Ryan McMahon because I've talked about him enough in many forums. So you guys can go figure that one out on your own. So I wanted to go a little different here. And I started with Luis Urias and, um, he came over from San Diego, had a big 2019 in the minors, 19 home runs, didn't translate tremendously in his uh, 71 games in the pros, got traded to Milwaukee, and the last year in 150 games, got the playing time, played all over. That's why he's got three positions he's eligible at, which is a big plus out the gate. But 23 homers, five stolen bases, 77 and 75, while you get 249. Average has really never been a strong, strong suit for him. It, it was decent in the minors, but kind of has deteriorated throughout time but he walks over 10% of the time, which is very, very strong as well for a young player. He's 24 years old. Uh, projection sites like the bat of for 18 homers, four steals, 250 average, like not jumping off the board. But to me, that flexibility is tremendous. And I think the power is legit. And last year he flourished because he played in so many positions due to injuries and whatnot. This year, he's a third baseman and there's no one to move him. That's the beauty of it. Like last year, they went and even traded for Eduardo Escobar, or there was this. They did the Travis Shaw experiment, and there are so many different things. So he just move all over the diamond. Well, he's playing third base now, and that's a beautiful thing. And you know, if there's an injury, God forbid, to Adamus or Wong, he can slide over. But he's going to play every day, which is tremendous. He's going to be probably in line for, I'd say, another 150-plus games, at least 140, but 150-plus. Um, 9% barrel rate last year in his first full season, which is kind of what we saw in the minor leagues, nearly a 40% hard hit rate, um, a back CV of 111.5. Like we saw him at 35 barrels. Now he hit 25 home runs. So that's like, we or 23. So, you know, not too shabby. It's about in line kind of with what we're going to probably a little overachieving, but close. But the dude, he finally got to play every day and showcase what we saw in the minors. And that's what was so big because coming into last season, Coming over from San Diego, a lot of people were saying, oh, this is the breakout guy. He's going to get his time and all this. And it worked out well. Um, I, I liked him. I didn't like him as much as some other guys, but I liked him. And it panned out. And I think we, we we have more to see as he keeps developing. You know, he only had a 16% home run to fly ball last year, which is still good. But we saw in his big home run seasons, 22.6, 25% uh, home run to fly ball. Like he could really maximize things out there. Ground ball rates, 41%. Not great, but not that bad. 
for what he does. Um, I'm just a big, big fan of his uh, going forward. He's still super young, so I still think he's developing into that power. Going to get to play every day, and, and it's just the little things with a young player getting to play every day. We saw how that flourished for him. It'd be great if he had stolen bases, but this is just one of those guys. We talked about the Bryant profiles, the Arenado profiles, the Rendon profiles, like especially Rendon. He's a perfect comp to me. Um, you know, Rendon might have the better average, should have better, he hasn't of late. Power-wise, speed-wise, like Julio Urias, or um, Luis Urias is very much in play there. So huge fan of his. I think we might get another level with him. Maybe he approaches, you know, 30 home runs. Maybe it's just 25, which I'd, I'm fine with at his ADP. But that offense is looking to be very, very good. There'll be a lot of run production possibilities there. So I like him. And, again, that flexibility is huge. So I, I love that with him quite a bit. So he'd be my first one on this list. Yeah, I like him a lot too. I actually, I don't think I've gotten him in any drafts, but I really do like him a lot. It just hasn't worked out so far. Yeah, I'm in a, I'm in a very sharp uh, 50 right now, NPC 50, and uh, Ryan Roof and uh, Yancey Eaton and a couple of Dave Poping and a few others are sniping my guy. So middle infield, I was just hosed on. So I, my last like two picks, I took Ryan McMahon and Luis Urias for my second baseman and shortstop. And I don't hate it based on the rest of my team, but I'd rather than be like different positions, but they work. They work. So, um, yeah, big fan of his. Who's your next guy? Yeah, my my second guy is Justin Turner, um, who also is not a player that I have any shares of. But I but you took Josh Donaldson, um, who Sorry. I also if you if you want him, I can talk about either, someone but... else. If you want Josh, I'll, I I can talk about someone else. No, no, no. Like I said, it's I got okay. Like six well, guys I, I've I've become increasingly interested in Justin Turner for a couple of reasons. Number one, I mean the batting average, like he's so good batting average wise, um, and just an excellent hitter. The power's been there. You know, the last three times, the last four times that he's gotten to at least 500 plate appearances, he's hit over 20 home runs, 27, 27, 21, 27. You know, he's not going to get you crazy like uh, counting stats, although he could move up a little bit in the lineup depending on, you know, what happens, um, uh, what what happens, you know, there with the, with the lineup for the Dodgers. But he's just so solid. And the thing that really convinced me is, I think it was Jeff Zimmerman put up something looking at who benefits the most from the Dodgers having the DH, at least if we look historically, because a lot of people are thinking it's Will Smith, the catcher. But actually, the, I think the two players that it benefited the most, number one was Justin Turner. Turner had the most played appearances as a DH for the Dodgers in the past like two or three years or whatever the time frame was that he was looking at it. And then number two was AJ Pollock. And so to me, like that is a really, that is a sign or an indication to me that when they, with the DH that Justin Turner will get, you know, I think, I think number one, it'll, it'll benefit his health and help him keep, stay healthy. And number two, I think he's going to get a lot of play appearances as a DH. And so I, I feel better about the playing time. And I think that's the major concern that people have had over the course of the many years. And so when I look at him and I look at like what my spreadsheet tells me, my, my, my spreadsheet has him uh, rated out better than Nolan Arenado. Um, Turner's ADP on my spreadsheet is 173. Um, Arenado's is 86. I have Turner as the 106th best, play, best player and Arenado as the 112th. Um, again, like this is weighted towards the bad X. So 
Um, there's a little bit more, um, you know, and, and the bad X is probably the, the worst system on Arenado and probably the best one on Turner. Um, so you got to factor that into the equation a little bit, but I mean, I, I think Turner's really good. I'm just, um, there's a lot of players going right around there that I really like, um, at other positions. And so I haven't been able to get him, but I, I, I want to want to have him on my team. Yeah, That's the challenge I have with a lot of third basemen, honestly, is like there's a lot of them that I like and I don't buy myself getting them because they are going parts of drafts where I like players more, other players more. So That's, that's the tricky part. That is definitely a tricky part with uh, this position because this is a good pocket, like like I said a few times, that of some very interesting options. And Turner, he's interesting because the, the biggest thing with him is, you know, he's going to get an IL stint or two. But the D8 should help a ton. So maybe that changes things. So I'm with you on that as well. Uh, you mentioned it. I have Josh Donaldson as my second one. And I I don't have a ton more to say that we haven't said before, but the power is awesome. You know, 26 homers in 135 games last year. Back in 2019, he played 155 games at 37. That was uh, two, three, four, four of the last five years in that run of 30-plus home runs. Hits you basically a 260 to 280 average. We saw 250, 247 last year. Might be more realistic now. It still walks a ton. Strikeout rate 21% was the lowest strikeout rate he's had since 2016, which I thought was pretty big. And he had a 268 Babbitt, which was, you know, he's usually around a 290 ish, give or take, if not into the 300s. So I think there's room for improvement there. Um, 135 games. And this is what I want to talk about him on because everyone says Josh Donaldson is injury prone. Yes, he's going to get hurt. But last year he got hurt on the first at bat, I believe, his double on opening day. Went on the IL, came back, never went on the IL the rest of the season. He had some banged up spots, missed a couple games here or there, but really didn't miss a ton of time. So it makes him quite interesting to me. 135 games. He's played um, 135 or more games in one, two, three, four, five, six, six of the last eight full seasons of baseball. So he's not like the worst situation, especially at his ADP, which is pretty tremendous. And the thing that he continually does well, 17.4% barrel rate last year. He's had a double-digit barrel rate in all but two seasons since StatCast started in 2015. 114.7 max EV, which is the second best in his entire career. 50, almost 53% hard hit rate, second best in his entire career. All the X stats, like, I know people hate him, but he had a 247 average of 268 X batting average, 541 X slug, 387 X Woba. There were some massive gaps in his actual numbers to his expected numbers. So I think what we saw from him is uh, potentially even better going into the next, next year. And one thing also, no Nelson Cruz to take the DH spot. So Josh Donaldson, barring something weird in Minnesota, should be your regular DH unless they decide to give it to Miguel Sano for some reason, which it could happen. But I'd rather see Miguel Sano at third base and let Josh Donaldson DH and let him play 140-plus games. Because if he sits there and DHs and gets that job done, and given I've seen quotes from Josh Donaldson that says he'd rather play in the field than DH, he's one of those guys. Some guys say it's tough to get the mindset to just DH every game. But at his age... I think that'd be tremendous. That team, not going to be great, but still, you got Polanco, you got Sano, you got Kirilov, you got Garver. Uh, there's going to be options there. They're going to put up some runs still. It's a bad division. I love Josh Donaldson. The power, the, still the, the hit tool is ridiculous. 
And um, I think he's going to be phenomenal. And I think if he plays 130 even games, if not 140 plus, you're going to get definitely your bang for your buck. And, you know, again, you mentioned some guys, you know, Rendones and Arenados, and you compared them to Donaldson. Yeah, look at the lines. Look at the stats. There's a, almost to a T they're the same player. If you look at re- last year's numbers plus the projections, either one, they're very, very similar. So I love Josh Donaldson. I'm with you there. Um, I think he gets a bad rap for the injury concerns, and um, I'll, I, I I have a lot of shares of Josh Donaldson. Um, ADP 21 and later, who is your target? Yeah, this one's a little bit this one's a little bit tough. It's not, um, <laughs> it's not great, but it's like there was kind of two players that I was thinking of. Um, the first one is Alec Bohm. I actually just got my first. Um, I got my first. Uh, I drafted him for the first time um, uh, in a recent in a recent um, DC, and I think I drafted him as my third baseman. I think I'm not totally sure, but you know, the more I kind of like dug into him. You know, it's just he's got there's nobody really in competition with him for the third base gig. Um, he was really lucky in his first season. I think he was pretty unlucky um, last year. Um, you know, he had seven home runs on 18 barrels, you know, playing in, you know, one of the better divisions in terms of like power hitting ballparks and also one of the just best home run hitting ballparks um, in baseball in Philly. Um, he's a high ground ball guy, which helps the batting average. You know, he makes a decent amount. Um, he makes a good amount of contact. Like he's better than league average overall in contact. And last year he saw a 6.6 increase percent increase in his K rate, despite only a 0.8% decrease in his overall contact rate. Um, so that was a little bit like, I feel like that was a little bit unlucky as well. Um, so And then when you look at his projection, it's projecting him for well under 600 plate appearances, 487 for bad X, but it's got him at 14 home runs, you know, the counting stats, you know, whatever they're not, they're not great. Um, He's got four stolen bases. So he provides like that little bit of speed and he comes with pedigree and he's been a pretty good hitter. Um, And I just feel like there's more like, you know, in his, how many he's got, 597 um, plate appearances in the majors. You know, he's got only 11 home runs, but he's got 31 barrels, right? So he's been unlucky so far in his career there. If you were to look at him getting a career, a league average number of home runs per barrels, right? You're looking more closer to 20 home runs that he would have had in those 600 plate appearances along with those five steals. And then he's got 70 runs and 70 RBI over the over that same 597 plate appearances with a 274 um, batting average. So you're getting a plus batting average. You're getting a little bit of speed from third base. And then I think you're getting a little bit more potential power um, than we've seen so far if he gets a little bit um, luckier when it comes to that kind of barrel to um, home run rate. I was debating between him and Yandy Diaz, who is a guy who I have more shares of in my drafts. Um, Yandy's going a little bit later, but I think I went with bone because he's younger. Um, he's got that pedigree. Like we've seen Yandy like for a long time and he's always had a high ground ball rate and he's never really been able to adjust it. And it's like bone is still young enough where he can make some of those changes. Um, and he's also got that, that run at full plate appearances, especially if he plays well, 
um, in a pretty good lineup where especially the RBI total could could be pretty pretty good. Or, I mean, the run total if he hits higher up in the lineup. So I ended up going with Bohm. Um, I like both those players, but Bohm is definitely um, interesting to me, especially like, and, and honestly, like I've done this a couple of times where I don't, don't have a third baseman, you know, and I'm, I'm 300 picks into the draft because I just can't, I just can't get into any of them. Um, and I think for that reason, like Bohm is becoming a much more interesting um, pick for me. Yeah, I can't stomach waiting that long, but uh, kudos to you. Kudos yeah. to you. I mean, um, I got some dope corner infielders and utilities and oh yeah, all that stuff on the same team. So, no doubt. What is no a doubt. third baseman, really? Just a position. No biggie. It's just a dude. Um, just a dude. And my dude, going later, I picked 344 and no homer here, but Evan Longoria is a guy that I absolutely love. Last season, in only 81 games, 13 homers at 261. Uh, freakish injury really derailed him. He had he had an early injury, but the last one of the last ones is uh, collided with um, Brandon Crawford. I was watching it live, and I'm just like, it was little league stuff, mm. such a little league play, and it, it took him out for a while. It really d- did him up pretty good. He's not really like people say he's going to get platoon, and he, he's going to get some days off, but he wasn't getting platoon when he was healthy. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, maybe they do. The DH would probably be, tr- be huge for Longo. Just gonna throw that out there. Uh, everyone's pointing to Darren Ruff as the DH. I get it. I think Longo's going to get his fair shake at, a, at least a game a week, if not two, potentially, at the DH position. So keep that in mind as well. But uh, what we saw last year uh, in those 81 games, like I said, 13 homers, a 12% walk rate was the best of his career since 2011, which I think is tremendous. Struck out more than he has since 2013. So that, that was different as well. But his ISO of 221, the best he's had since 2016, a 305 BABIP, which is his best in 2013. He was just seeing the ball and hitting the ball extremely well. And you could, by watching the games, you could see it. But also looking at his stat cast page, 13.4% barrel rate, best of his career. 54.5% hard hit rate, best of his career. Um, you know, the, the max EV of 113.2, best of his career. He was just crushing the baseball. 40% fight ball rate, best he's had since 2016. Um, there was a lot to like when it came to Evan Longoria last year. And I think, he's yes, he's getting older, and that's a definite concern. He's going to be uh, 36 this year. And the projection sites are tempering expectations, 109 games from the from the bad X, but still 17 homers, 258 average. I think that's fair. I think he plays more like 120-ish with the DH, maybe 130, uh, barring health situations. And if he can get that in, he's tremendous. Am I taking him in fab leagues? Probably not. I don't think I need to go that deep. I think he's going to be a great waiver wire acquisition throughout the season. He was last year. He served a purpose last year in deep leagues. I think he's he's on a lot of my DCs, a lot of them. I think he's a great second or even third or third baseman option because when he is healthy, you can slide him in at corner infield, utility, or third base, and he's very, very productive those weeks when he's in Coors or some other great matchups. Uh, I love Longo, and he's hitting the ball hard. I think he's doing kind of a Votto thing. I haven't like checked out the swing path and all that junk, but with the strikeout rates improving, he's kind of selling out for more power. I think there's a lot to be said about that with with him. I could be wrong. It could be just pure speculation, but there's a lot of correlations that 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 translate to both of those guys. Um, I, I think he's in for another big season. He's going to get as much playing time as he can handle. And um, I love Longo at pick three forty four. I think he's a kind of and he's going too late, but. 
again, you're not going to draft them in a redraft unless you're just unless you just give up on third base and don't take anybody, and it's between Baum, Longo, and Yandy Diaz. That's your decision to make. <laughs> you probably go with Alec Baum or something. So, yeah. All right. I have a couple third base ADP debates, and these were not easy to make, Toby, because this position sucks. And like I couldn't even make any in the top 10. It was bad. So we'll start with this one. I think I know your answer based on who you talked about already, but to Brian Hayes or Yoan Moncada? What does Yoan Moncada do? It's a great uh, question. I got what a does Yoan Moncada do? I'm yep. confused. I don't know what he does. He, I'm sure uh, he'll prove me wrong. He like just... hard and a very in a good lineup. That's what he does. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's really kind of sad. You know, ever since he had COVID, he just hasn't been the same player. He had that incredible season, but you know, um, he's got 20 homers over his last, you know, 850 plate appearances. He's got three steals over his last 850 plate appearances. I just, I'm not quite sure what he does. Um, just not quite sure what he does. And I will say Hayes is a 129.80p, Moncada 154 for those keeping track at yeah. home. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would go Hayes in a, in a pretty, pretty good by a pretty good amount. What about? Luis Urias at 150 versus Moncada at 155. Urias. Okay, there we go. The next one I have written down here, Ryan McMahon at 163, Justin Turner at 170. Um, I would go with Justin Turner, I think. I know, you're just, I'm a Ryan McMahon guy, so I knew this would be fun, but I'd go Ryan McMahon. But uh, I, right. I think I'm Well, let's I'm see. Let me, let me dig a I'm little deep. on Ryan McMahon, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean the the challenge for me is, you know, again thinking about like what what does either one of them do that's kind of unique or contributing to those scarce categories. Like McMahon's highest batting average is two fifty four, which he had last year. Which there's certainly you know some potential for him to um, you know improve on that. You know he also had uh, on the lower end of a. Well, it's kind of in his range of Babips, you know, and he's got the speed and and Turner doesn't necessarily have it. So it's a, it's a really good comp. Um, I would lean towards Turner in this particular instance, just because of the batting average that he provides um, can be a huge boon, especially at this point in the draft. But I can definitely see the appeal of McMahon for sure. The last one's fun. Josh Donaldson at 204.36. Eugenio Suarez at 204.91, so essentially the same pick. I know you like both guys. So which one yeah, this is a have? tough one. I mean, I've been drafting Eugenio Suarez more than I Donaldson. I made this one just for you. I've been drafting Eugenio Suarez more than Donaldson, but it's also because I'm drafting draft, draft champions, and Suarez's third-base shortstop eligibility in that format. Like At this point in the draft, he's either filling in my third-base spot or he's, you know, in my middle infield or my corner infield and having that flexibility at that point in the draft, especially with that power, like being able to put that in, in the middle infield position, um, is pretty fantastic in a draft and hold. So I've been leaning in that direction in a draft and hold. If I, if it were, if it were a, um, if it were a regular fab league, I might still lean Suarez just because of that dual position eligibility. But I think um, I think you'd probably be like I'd get a little bit of each, um, you know. If I was if I was in four leagues, I'd go two and two, or 
you know, whatever. So I'd, I'd say slight lean towards Suarez because of the position eligibility, but I, I like them both. Yeah, Team Donaldson here, but I, I am I am intrigued with uh, Suarez. I think we're going to get a much better Suarez this year. So I, I am intrigued by that. Uh, still, his range of outcomes are very scary is the only thing, but I could see things looking a lot better for him as well. So that will be fun. All right, got some listener questions here. Kicking it off with Nico at P. Troll King. How do you guys handle starting, uh, starting, starting pitchers, relief pitchers? How do you start the different ones in a 15 team DC? 80th percentile in case in 2021 was 1369. And I find if you start three relievers, even if they're really strong, you fall short. Any scenario where you start, you start your or draft three early ish, thanks. So how do you go about with your relief pitchers and starting pitchers in a weekly setup is what he's asking for DCs. Yeah. Um, so I actually don't look at starting pitcher projections. I don't factor them into 80th percentile at all. I don't really look at that. I just find that projections in general um, fail to capture effectively. And I, I'm sure there's people who do it more effectively, but like just fail, like the way we use pitchers, you know, like, so much of there's those certain guys that you start all the time, but so much of it is matchup based. Um, you're kind of trying to, to, to turn it that way. I mean, I would say generally like in a DC, I've got six or seven starting pitchers and two or three relief pitchers. Whenever I have a relief pitcher that has access to saves or is like in a position to close, I always have them in my lineup. Like even if I were to ha- honestly have four of them, I would, if at all possible, like you obviously have to make judgment calls depending on who you're taking out of your lineup in that particular week, but you just want to accrue saves as much as possible in that DC format, because if any of those players gets injured or loses an opportunity later in the season, it's not like you can just go to the waiver wire to address those saves. So you try to capture as many saves as you can, as many as possible. One of the reasons why I go heavy pitching in DCs early, like, you know, three starting pitchers in the first five or, you know, two starting pitchers in the first five, and then another one shortly thereafter um, is because like there's there's very few guys that really differentiate themselves in terms of strikeouts, like the volume of strikeouts that they're providing, both because of like there's there's you know like there's a lot of highly skilled high K guys, but they are relief pitchers, right? And so they're like not going to get you a ton of strikeouts. There's very few players who are highly skilled high strikeout guys who also provide you with volume. There's a reason why they're really high up in the draft. And that's why I go after them pretty um, strongly um, in, in the DC format, um, even more so than in a fab league. Like in a fab league, I'm more interested in depth and starting pitching in addition to having like a couple of those aces as well. So um, I would say that, but traditionally, like I'd say on most teams, I'm probably a little bit more like six and three in a DC than I would be in a fab league where I probably have two relief pitchers in there at any given, given time usually. And um, that's also because like pitcher injuries, like a lot of times the relief pitchers are actually better options because the ratios are going to be better. And there's actually not that much of a differential between the number of wins that they're going to get because of how short the outings are likely to be for mediocre starting pitchers. Like, in the process, there's actually a really good article that goes into depth about that. Like, what is the true difference between starting like a high skilled reliever and a middling starter when it comes to wins? And it's not as big of a difference as you would 
necessarily anticipate or that I think a lot of times in our decision making, you know, we tend to lean towards that that starting pitcher in, in terms of wins. And I know I'm not sure that that's the best strategy. So in a really long way of saying like, I don't really pay attention to projections when it comes to K's. So I wouldn't worry about looking at 80th percentile for that. I mean, you certainly can, but I just don't because it doesn't really capture that value for pitchers, but you really want to be mindful of that. Like, you know, you got to figure out like, where am I going to get these K's from? You know, like there's only a handful of guys that are going to get over 200 K's in any given season. And having those guys makes an absolutely huge, huge, huge difference um, in the grand scheme of things. So, I mean, if you don't address it in the draft, I think it's hard to address it by just manipulating your lineup because you're going to be putting some pretty bad starting pitchers in those lineups to try to get to that K number. I would rather just have lower Ks and try to have better ratios and instead of like tanking my ratios going after the Ks and being hurt in a variety of different categories. No, and that's that's a great point to mention. It's the roster construction conversation again. And that's why like the pocket aces, we've talked about it before. It's, it's the ratios, it's the strikeouts. Like it's so many factors that allows you to do so much more as the draft goes on and, and DCs, it's a little different, but you still get your guys early, but you have like, I guess you have so many pitchers on your roster to make decisions from. It makes it like, okay, do I do this, that, and the other? I think it's a good point though on the, the saves, like use them while you got them because there's not as many lockdown guys. And the last thing you want to do is have them on your bench and they get saves and then they lose their job and you can't use them again. And it's tough where you have so many starters, you can rotate in and out to start this guy, whatever this guy and, and, and finagle things. So I, I think, for the most part, it's three. I know there's times last year, based on injuries and other situations, I'd have four or five guys in there certain weeks. It just totally depended on what you had going on. It really did. So I guess to start out the season, probably six-ish and three makes sense. But um, it, it'll vary from week to week. And you'd be surprised on how many Ks you can still muster up, especially as the season goes on, because there's some weeks where I wouldn't even have a relief pitcher in sometimes like it was just it was totally week to week dependent and how i wanted to accumulate stacks and matchups and so many factors that go into it on a weekly basis especially in dcs where you have a lot more options hopefully barring injuries uh jt the ginger asks would you rather draft your starting third baseman last or be the last person to swim in the kiddie pool Oh man, I'm all for drafting your third baseman last. Yeah, because that kiddie pool for sounds that. terrifying. Kitty pools can be really dangerous places. Yes, very dangerous. So yeah, third baseman last for sure. Um, our buddy MS at SMMS79, would you rather, uh, what would you rather do? Wait on third base or wait on tables? Um, I mean, I've been waiting on third base a lot, but um, also, I mean... You know, like, um, yeah, I mean, waiting on tables can be challenging work, but so I guess I'd rather wait on third base, you know, Toby's just a wait on third base guy is third base and chill. Third base and chill is what Toby likes to have it be your worst offensive player. That's what it seems like is worse than catcher. So this would be good. Um, at not quite that bad. (laughs) At through underscore Dorte says in a 12 teamer OC, would you feel comfortable with either LeMahieu, Urias, Turner, or McMahon being your starter and your only third baseman on the roster? Do any of the veteran third basemen being drafted outside the top 13 end up in the top five by end of season? So two questions. 
Um, LeMahieu, Urias, Turner, McMahon, are you cool with them being your starter and your only third baseman? Pretty sure yes. Um, let me check really quickly here. Um, I have I have a 12-team spreadsheet. I'm looking at my 15-team spreadsheet right here. Um, I mean, generally speaking, yes. I like LeMahieu a lot, so I'd be fine with that. Who are the other guys? Um, LeMahieu, McMahon, Urias, Turner. Um, McMahon and Urias in a 12-teamer. I mean, sure. I mean, I think for me, like in a lot of these types of questions, it's kind of like, it doesn't matter where the worst offensive player on your team plays, you know? Um, So, yeah. So like, it really doesn't um, matter all that much there. But so Turner, I mean, I have Turner as, again, some of this is messed up because dual position eligibility guys, but I have Turner as the 106th best player, best hitter in a 12 team format. So definitely be comfortable there. He's my, he's the third baseman six or not including guys that might be in other positions on my spreadsheet. So don't take my word for it. Um, but Turner's up there. So I think that would be fine. The projections don't like DJ LeMahieu as much. So, but I'm, it's just one of these situations where I believe more in the player than I do in the projection and, you know, sometimes those are just subjective decisions that you that you make. Um, so I'd be fine with LeMahieu. Uh, McMahon, I mean, probably, I don't know how, if I'd feel great about it, but I think it would be, I think it would be fine. I mean, again, like if your corner infielder is some stud first baseman or um, something like that. Yeah, McMahon I have as the 208th best player. Um so, yeah, I mean, maybe not McMahon. Turner, yes. LeMahieu, yes. Would be fine for me. Because um, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they're going to hurt you at all. So that's Mc, what I would say. The McMahon slander. I just can't stand for it. But, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good with any of these guys being my starter to start the season, especially in 12-team OC. There'll be options on the wire if worse comes to worse. And if you waited this long, you better have a better roster out there on your like. So you should be okay. Like Toby was saying, like it, it could be your worst position if you're building it right, which hopefully you are. If this is where you're landing at third base, um, do any of the veteran third basemen's being drafted outside the top thirteen end up in the top five end of season? Any of the outside the top thirteen end up as a top five? in the season. Um, I could see it for Turner. I could see it for, I mean, Eugenio Suarez, if he returns to the player that he was in previous years, you know, that kind of like 260, um, 30, 40 home run type guy. Um, he could definitely be there as well. Let me just make sure I'm not making up that batting average. Um, let's see. Batting average for him was, yeah, like 271, 283, 260 from 2017 to 2019. I mean, if he could get back to that point, then yeah, for sure. I think he can definitely, um, be in there. I mean, Donaldson could if healthy. Um, so yeah, I think there's, I think there's a few guys that could hop in there. Those would be kind of the primary guys for me that I, I would list out like Donaldson, Suarez, Turner. Turner would be the guys that I think could hop in there. 
Yeah, Turner and Donaldson stood out to me. With no uh, offense to Ryan McMahon at all. He's not a veteran, so I'll let it slide. Now, okay. um, uh, Aaron R. says, who are your favorite third basemen after pick 400? Let oh, me just God, clarify. they're so Aaron. bad. They're so yeah, bad. Say, let me clarify, Aaron. It's not great. Not great. So this is going to be not like, great at all. You're basically making us pick guys is what we're going to say. Um, so what do you got? Yeah. I mean, I've picked up JD, JD Davis um, because he is um, because of the DH. It could be that he lands a spot and just mashes. Uh, Tyler Wade is currently scheduled to be a starter for the yep. uh, Angels. Angels. Um, so not necessarily a third baseman, but he has third base eligibility. That could be maybe interesting. Uh, Santiago Espinal could maybe be a starter. I mean, right now he would be the starter at, um, at second base or third base. So, I mean, he could be one. He's got a good batting average at least, uh, Josh Van Meter probably going to play. Uh, and then Kevin Smith is another one, um, on a per plate appearance basis, Kevin Smith, uh, projections like him a lot. He could be really good. I think it's just a matter of whether he will actually get the opportunity, um, to play or not, but it's, it's, it's rough out there. Really bad. It is rough out there late. If you get past like pick three fifty, it's rough. I do like Josh Harrison. He's going at like three eighty three. Yeah, I like him. A lot, um, I like him a lot, but um, he's not outside the four hundred, so I didn't include him. And one of the only like other main guys besides the ones you mentioned, it's not pretty, but he's still young. Prospect Pedri is going to start every day. Is Carter Keboom? He's going to start every day in Washington. So uh, depends on what your thoughts are there. Uh, Jake Berger, if he ever played every day, I love what he does, but I don't know what they're doing there in Chicago with his playing time. So that's a tough one, but late flyer, I could see it. Other than that, it's uh, like if I knew as Dribble Cabrera was playing somewhere, he's intriguing at 733. I just don't know where he's going to play. So that makes life a little difficult, but yeah, it's, it's tough. Very, very tough. Uh, next question we have here is Eric Samolski asks, I'm just curious to hear where you both stand on Cabrian. Uh, he's been a 45% ground ball guy for much of his career, not a real home run threat, supported by a 25% home run to fly ball ratio in 2020, and now people seem to think he can be a 20 home run guy. feel like 12 to 15 home runs, 12 stolen bases is likely who he is, or am I off? All right, first, Eric, you're in my TGFBI league. So whatever I say in the response to your question is the exact opposite of what I mean. <laughs> or is it? We covered Cabrian Hayes pretty extensively. You want to know who else is a 45% ground ball guy? You're go Josh Bell. You're going to go with... Uh, Vlad Jr. Oh, oh, so oh, I'm not oh. telling you that Cabrian Hayes has 48 home run potential. Oh, but <laughs> did not see that one. I coming. wouldn't <laughs> say it's impossible. Of all the players for Tony right? to use to support his I cause. wouldn't <laughs> say it's impossible. Um oh, no, I mean I think that Brian Hayes's limitation is his power, right? At this point in time, he's still very young. If he gets that ground ball rate at 45%, remember he's got 20 barrels in 500 plate appearances, which is not a great rate, but that's at a 55% ground ball rate. You can get that down to 45%. 
you know, chalk on a few more barrels on there. The luck levels out and you're good. Alternatively, he could not hit that much from that much power and he could steal 15 bases and he could be just as valuable. So again, Cabrian Hayes, Vlad Jr., very comparable players in a lot of ways. I have very similar expectations for their contributions in fantasy baseball this year. That is outstanding. Um, the Guilds didn't have a question. He just wanted to tell us something. Um, his stance on third base. And Guilds is a very talented. Uh, he's, he's a very good. Player. He's a very good player. Yeah. So just if anybody wants advice. Very uh, complimentary my, of the podcast. As yeah. Well. He was on my show like a month or so. Ago. He was great. I would go yeah. back and listen to that episode. He had very nice I, I, things to yeah. say about you as well. I plan on having him on again. Uh, if I miss out on a top three third base when I'm taking Modesty in the fourth or fifth round, if I need speed, if I don't need speed, I'm not even looking at the position for another 150 picks where I'll gladly take Eduardo Escobar and then self high five. So not maybe the player Toby's taking, but a similar philosophy where he's just like, screw it. I'm going to wait. And we're going later in the draft. <laughs> what a Homer. I mean, what a yep. Mets fan. Yep. Eduardo Massive Escobar. Take Eduardo uh, Escobar, please. Take all the shares. I, I have Escobar. a lot of shares just because he's second base. Third I'm base. just kidding. He's fine. He's no, fine. he's he's nothing fancy, but he's consistent. It's consistently boring, is what Eduardo Escobar is. That's the way I'll I'll put it. Uh, Simone, he's no Vlad Junior though. No, not the ground ball rate. It's tough. It's tough uh, to represent. Yes, and to the do. guilds. Um, Andrew was big time into big Vlad, Vlad Junior last year. Huge Very Vlad, good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Simone, P. I was I wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> if anybody didn't we know had that yet, varying degrees of success last year, me and yeah. him. Guilds crushed. Yeah. Um, barring injuries, who do you think has more value in NL only leagues between JD Davis, Joey Wendell, Mike Mustakis, and Wilmer Flores? Who? Uh, Wilmer Flores last. Yeah. Um. Wendell. Mustakis. Who's Davis the last one? Flor- Davis Flores. Davis Flores. Flores. And we're assuming that they're healthy. Yes, and we're assuming they're healthy. Man, got to pick all these different players. I mean, if we assume they're healthy, I would probably go Moose. Yep. But again, like the profile is going to be severely different than Joey Wendell. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably go Moose. I mean, the thing is, I mean, if if it, if it was like they're they're going to be healthy and they're going to get playing time, that's a big. I'd go I'd go JD Davis first, and then I'd yeah. say Moose, then I'd say Wendell, and then I'd say whoever the last guy was, Flores, the guy on the Giants who they're going to yeah. platoon severely, and no player on the Giants has any value whatsoever. Um, uh, that's what I'd probably say. I mean, if they were healthy and all that stuff, I mean, I think day JD Davis's power. It's metrics ridiculous. are fairly similar to, yeah, to I think he hits up too many ground balls, but they're fairly similar to moose better batting average profile. Um, you know, moose can get the batting average kind of low, but I mean, moose gets great American small part too. And then Joey Wendell could be like a 10, 15 guy, 15, yep. 15 nice guy. If he plays in, every in day an, and, in an NL only league. That's big. My only question with Wendell is like, how are they going to use him? 
because they can use him a lot of different ways, but like they have Brian Anderson at third. So is Wendell going to be the third baseman and, and Anderson is the DH or is, does Wendell play, get some reps at shortstop? I don't think so. Cause Rojas is kind of like an everyday guy or can't really go over to the first second, second base. Cause it's jazz, jazz Chisholm. We're not going no. there. Not is Aguilar is at first base. So like is, is, Wendell going to the outfield? Is he playing DH? That's been like the one hesitation I've had with Wendell is just kind of trying to understand where he fits in and how he fits in. I think he does, but I don't know if it's every day playing time. It may be like five times a week or like four times a week or something like that. Um, Only against righties or or whatever it is. So um, anyways, but I guess that wasn't part of the question. So that's what I would. No, it's a fair, it's a fair point because I've had, trouble draft. I don't think I drafted Wendell anywhere. And I'm a huge, yeah. I had him in a lot of leagues last year for DCs, a lot of them because he's super flexible, uh, positional flexibility. And, and we just, I just don't know what he's going to do with, with Miami. So it's, it's tough. I think like part of me is regretting not having that on my roster so much later than some of these other flexible guys, like the, the Cronin worst of the world and everything, not saying they're equal, but what you're going for is there. But, uh, for me, it's moose. Um, I'll go J.D. Davis, assuming he plays because of the D.H., Wendell, then Flores. But uh, it's it's tough. Wendell could be the best one of the four, easily, if he plays every it, game. It'd be interesting to check out their st- Steamer 600, 600s. Um, I mean, Joey Wendell is my third favorite Joey. In, behind um, Votto and... Um, behind J- Votto and Musgrove. I mean, Musgrove doesn't go by Joey, but I kind oh, of... he does uh, in, I assume in, in, that he's, a, he's he a Joey. He seems yeah, he definitely. strikes me as a Joey. And you know who the the best Joey is? We're not even talking about who Joey Weimer. Joey, Joey Weimer. Oh yeah, for sure. Pick him up in your dra- your dynasty leagues. So, Steamer six hundred has Joey Wendell at eleven home runs, twelve stolen, twelve steals, and two fifty four batting average. So that's kind of. Eh. Uh, not really into that at all. Um, Moustakis, they have for 29 home runs, three steals, um, 72, 73, 72 and 80, uh, with a, with a 73 and 84 with a 2.40 batting average. So I'd say like Wendell right there. And then is JD Davis showing up anywhere here? Come on, give me a little J.D. Davis love. J.D. Davis, they have it 245, 21 home runs, 72, 72, and three steals. So Steamer 600 would go Moose. Would go Moose. Would go Moose, J.D. Davis, and probably Wendell. Maybe Wendell's above him. I don't know. Anyways, we went way too in-depth on that question. But that's the type of hard-hitting analysis that you get when you listen to our podcast. We go deep on nl only assuming they're healthy and have full plate appearances joey wendell mike moustakis jd davis and some giants platoon bat that's irrelevant fair enough uh anthony gialdi asks name a third base eligible player you own zero of right now and have no intention of drafting at all for 2022 do not say monacy pick someone besides him I already have Mondesi on a team, so yeah. that's wrong. I think it's Austin Riley for me, and it feels that's weird. Wrong. But... Um, just to stay on brand, I would say Chris Bryant. Yeah, that's fair. No, 
Um, <laughs> I mean, I probably won't have Riley. I won't have Arenado. Probably I won't have Bregman. Won't have Bryant. Won't have Mancada. Yeah, I mean, I won't have any of them probably. So there you go. It's a good list. I hope that's enough to use against me in drafts, people. <laughs> Uh, Dave Petrozio. None of those guys. If you're interested in those guys and you're drafting with me, you do not have to worry about what my next pick is. All right, folks, when you're in that range. Uh, Dave Petrozio asks, in my one draft so far, a main Let event Let me ask satellite. you a question. Is this a question from Dave? Um. Yeah. Well, I think he's asking us how he did. Yeah, there's a question in the end. It's a two-parter. Um, yeah, it's a question eventually. I have DJ LeMayhew as third base. I know that's not ideal because we look uh, for power at third base, but in 15s, the draft doesn't always go as planned. I did get Bubba's boy Hoskins for first base and Dahlbeck for corner, so if those guys do what they think they can, I think they can work if DJ bounces back like we think. What do you guys think? And yes, third base is shallow. So do you think he's okay with DJ at third base? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's like, I think that's 75 home runs projected from those three players. Um, yeah, he'll be which fine. is 25 home runs per, which is fine. Yeah, I uh, mean, I, I don't I don't really buy, I mean, like, yes, you just have to think, I just think you have to, like, you have to plan. You have to think about, like, okay, if I get DJ LeMahieu as my third baseman, this is how I'm going to compensate for power or, you know, you just have to be thinking about like those different profiles of guys later on in drafts that you need to fill in your overall team, because it sounds like you've gotten some major power bats and obviously like, you know, Dahlbeck, I like Dahlbeck a lot and I have him on a few teams and I'm relying on his power and it could be that it doesn't come through. So you just got to make sure that, if you're in a DC that on your bench, you've got some power bats that can maybe fill in if, if in case he doesn't come through. So, you know, again, like I think it's fine to stray from what the typical profile looks like at different positions. You just have to understand how it impacts your team and how you have to adjust later on in the draft to adapt, uh, to, to do that. And that's why tracking the 80th percentile totals is, so important, I think for me at least, is just because that really gives you a sense of how balanced your team is, where your weaknesses are. You may or may not believe in projections or or want to use those or be super rigid in following them, but that at least gives you a sense of like, oh man, I'm weak in this spot or I'm strong in this spot or you know things like that. Um, regardless of like how that puzzle pieces of your team fit together, definitely. Uh, last question we have here, Liam at Freed Mines asks, is Mondesi or Franco worth targeting early in 12-teamers because the replacement value is so high on the wire? I think we agree Mondesi is okay. Depends on how early early is. I'm not touching Franco. Yeah, I mean, um, what I would say is Mondesi is less valuable in a 12-teamer than he is in a 15-teamer. Uh, um, I don't necessarily know if I agree with the idea of Mondesi being more valuable, like going after him in a 12 teamer versus a 15 teamer more. Um, just because like, obviously the replacement value is higher I mean, maybe, I guess, I don't know. Yeah, but at the same time, probably your statistical cat like levels are lower in a 15 because it's so spread out, maybe. 
Yeah, I mean, they're yeah, they definitely are. Like in terms no, of like what the category about. targets you have to hit are. Yep. But it's just like there's just a lot more steals in the player pool. I feel like you know, like you can you can get steals easier in twelve teamers than in fifteens. So I don't think I'm not as liable to go after Mondesi in a twelve. Um. I'm, you know, steals are obviously really important, but so is batting average. And Montessi's not really going to help me very much there. Or, I, and I don't really like the the team build. Uh, Franco, not really. Like, I'm, I'm not, I don't know. I mean, we, we talked about Talk Franco about on the shortstop. Yeah. Not like super interested in him this year, just because I think there's, there's a limitation. Um, but it's like, you know, when you think about the 12 teamers, it's like in a 15 teamer, it's like each player has got to give you a certain amount. Like you've got to average whatever, like 21 home runs or like 22 home runs and 75 runs and 85 RBI and 12 steals. And, you know, I'm just making this up and 262 or something like that. And then, but it's like in the, in the 12s, like, the power becomes more of an issue because you had got to get 25 home runs on average from your team. So you got to compensate for that. Um, and you don't know, you're not getting the steals necessarily from Franco either. So anyways, I'm rambling on it's late. Um, I'm not super interested in those guys in 12s as much. I may regret, regret asking you this. Yeah. But if you're looking for a steals source, Adalberto Modesty or Miles Straw, Oh, um, I would rather have um, Mondesi than Straw. Uh, At their ADP, probably still Mondesi, I think. Um, Let me just check something. I want to double check my work here because I only want to provide accurate information to the listeners of this podcast. And so when I make things up, like, Mondesi is more valuable. Yeah. Um, so like in a 15 teamer, I have Mondesi at $23 essentially. 23, 24. It's a very nice number. Um, I have let me go back to third base. I have Mondesi as $19 and 35 cents um in a 12 team league. So I just don't think his profile stands out as much in the 12 teamer um, because that batting average isn't good. Um, Let me just see for Wander what we've got here. So Wander, I have him as $16 in a 12 teamer. And in a 15 teamer, wait, let's see, that's 12 teamer. In the 15-teamer, no, that's the 12-teamer again. Promise people that I can flip in between tabs here. Compelling podcasting right here. Um, And then Wander, I have Wander as 1798 in a 15-teamer. And in the 12-teamer, he's 1605. Uh, Is that what I said? Yeah, yeah. 
So it's not a big change like Mondesi is from. It's not a huge change, but in both of those scenarios, they're less valuable in a 12 than they are in a 15. Um, And again, I don't believe in Franco's projection. Uh, Talked about that on the last podcast episode, why we kind of disagree a little bit about the steals that he's projected for. And, and um, so, yeah. So that's all to say, like, I think sometimes in 12s, we are thinking about, we're kind of like, think that we have to go after those extreme profiles. And I think in a lot of ways, like those, the balanced profiles in the 12s are more valuable because you can't lose too much ground in going after like an extreme profile. Not that Franco's like a particularly extreme profile. Um, you know, so that's what I would say. In both of those scenarios, the top catchers are way more valuable than either one of those players. So you should be drafting and them. That's where we end the podcast. <laughs> we just hit catchers. Honestly, people, honestly, yeah. honestly, when I draft a 12 teamer this year, I'm going three or four starters, and then I'm drafting Salvi and JTR back-to-back. I don't know if that's even possible with the draft board, but damn, that's going to feel good. We can get one of those two, and then like Will Smith or Grundahl or somebody. You can get two studs for sure. I know, but, but I want those two. Oh, I know, I know. Well, maybe you have to go two starters, those two, third starter. Possibly. <laughs> but that'll be a fun discussion no, yeah, yeah. at a later date and time. So we're going to wrap things up there. Third base pod in the books. Um, fun position, as you can tell. We love it so much. There's about uh, 10 picks in the middle we don't want to talk about. Uh, so that's just the way it goes. <laughs> and then you can kind of just wait and draft guys later. That's pretty much what it is. Get three guys early or draft them all later. You decide. That's kind of where the conundrum lies. But uh, we'll be back next week to start the outfield. We might, we'll might probably break that one up into a couple episodes, like we usually do. There's a lot to talk about. But uh, we'll get you covered god forbid we might have extra time to talk about positions so let's see uh let's see how things go they all meet on thursday and hopefully we have something in the right direction but uh, until next time you find toby on twitter at batflip crazy i'm at bdentric this was bubba the bat flip episode 113 your third base preview okay. bubba, yeah bubba the the taste of vomit has gotten worse since the beginning of the episode it's it's actually it hasn't gotten better it's gotten I, worse i can hear it i can hear it in that mic yeah. so we're good, we're good. okay All right, everybody. Catch you all later.